My name is Nathan Larson. I am a 45-year-old white American male. I have access to all the fruits and perks of that thing that has been christened white privilege. I am a gentrifier. I live in New York City, in Harlem. We are interlopers here. We are in, but not of, our neighborhood. We represent a process that is rendering urban areas unlivable to those with less means. I see this and I acknowledge it. The questions and conversations I and my friends involved with this project put out there will be by no means new or even particularly well formulated, but they will be put forward anyway. This is a moment. This is an identity crisis. This is a crisis of public health. Never have these issues received greater visibility or more explicit expression. And yet never has the chasm between us seemed greater and the temptation to say fuck it all is totally understandable. But when we're generally good with moments, there's momentum, there is energy. What we make of this energy is up to us. We can go the route of fear, which is negative engagement, which is the posture of anger and sweeping cartoonish hate speech. The route of fear is also of disengagement. Or we can take another route. We can engage. Because to not engage is to fail. That we are different, that our experience of the world is completely polar, there is absolutely no question. But that we, as a species, are made up of subsets, groups that are somehow completely incompatible. That a shared future in the truest and fullest definition of shared is not possible. I don't fucking buy it. And if you're still with me here, you don't buy it either. Like anything else, this calls for some effort. Today we discuss the shifting nature of identity and feminism. So come on, let's do the work. You're listening to Tone Deaf. I want to talk about the fear. Anytime a white person says the good old days, I get stressed immediately. My body just tenses up. I get it. It makes sense to me because if you listen to the song, like the uh, the theme song for All in the Family, oh, those were the days. That's a brilliant song. Brilliant. Listen to what he's saying. Read those lyrics. He's talking about when it was white. And whites controlled everything. <laughs> yeah. Whether it be through fear, through politics, religion. It was that fear and that control that they miss. You did what we tell you to do and you didn't give us any lip about it. What that means to me is like you want the change to not happen. And, you know, it it has to. Well, I definitely identify first and foremost as um, a black woman. I identify myself as a black woman or black American woman. Black man, black. My wife and I, we, we identify ourselves as, as black. I have a strong connection with my, with my African roots, mainly because of uh, my name. 
I'm, uh, <coughs> it's definitely who you're asking. You know, yeah. if you're asking other people throughout my life, it will be very different questions, answers, depending on the person, the situation, etc. But for me, it's more basic. I'm like, okay, my mom's mom is Afro-Caribbean from St. Kitts. They lived in New York. My mom and dad both grew up in New York. The only, I didn't have a lot of um, contact with the black community. And then her dad is African-American from you know, North Carolina, South Carolina area. But then his grandpa was the, uh, most likely Cherokee, Cherokee or Creek, because those were, Cherokee were, the, were in greater numbers in that area, so it's probably Cherokee. Um, so on that side, we've got African-American, Afro-Caribbean, uh, Native American. And then my dad's side, they're all from Southern Ireland. Um, so my dad, he, he actually has an Irish passport as well, but he's never been to the country. <laughs> my ethnicity in general is um, very diverse. I just feel that the other parts of me, which aren't um, that visible on the surface, uh, they don't really affect how I'm regarded in society. I guess it's kind of like depressing <laughs> to only consider myself um, as I'm perceived, but it is important um, because that's how society interacts with me. I'm constantly reminded every day that I'm African-American and a woman. What are the ways in which you're reminded? I mean, just the usual uh, interactions with like light forms of um, misogyny and racism every day, you know? Why feminists have to understand that black women, unlike them, are doubly oppressed by both their race and their gender. When we talk about white womanhood in American culture, stemming back from, you know, hundreds of years, is that white womanhood, is the concept, was seen as a symbol of purity, a symbol of innocence. And you've had organizations who have terrorized black people in order to protect that purity and innocence, namely the KKK, right? Black women come from a place where their bodies have always been sexualized, whether they are scantily clad or fully clothed. Black womanhood was never seen as a symbol of purity and innocence. It always was seen as the grotesque, the, the homely, the, the vile, and the immoral. Something that needs to be tamed. That's something that needs to be revered and protected. Something to be laid claim to with or without a black person's consent so i think the reason why white feminists and black feminists differ is because white feminists have always been protected and black women historically have never been protected not even from black men so that's what i think what needs to be reiterated when we have these conversations about agency and patriarchy and uh I don't know, diversity, intersectionality, inclusion, is just to understand what living in a certain body has meant and still continues to mean. The, the, all, all of humanity came through the womb of a black woman. That's, that's not up for debate. That's a fact. So how could I look at you and feel inferior? Mm. And you, you look at me and, and say, you're superior to me, but you came from me. You understand? So how can I? I and, and I remember having a conversation with my wife because she was talking about how she didn't want to because our hair is naturally curly and she doesn't want to wear her hair like that she says it's because of work and you know when you wear your hair natural it, it really causes a lot of issues at work you know what i mean with but bosses who are white and, and, and you know she has felt self-conscious about that I said your hair is beautiful like you you are a black woman you're a goddess life came through your womb you have nothing to be ashamed of
So it's like that constant daily reminder kind of at the same time empowers me and because it is hard to just deal with, you know, not only misogyny, but racism as well on a regular basis because it does mean that I have to persevere. Definitely say I'm proud of who I am and, um, and I'm proud of all of who I am, but it's, I'm more a black woman every day than anything else. My mom is half um, African-American and half um, white. So my grandfather was a black man and my, my grandmother is a white woman. And even like on the census, I, I remember I was really angry back in the mid 80s. I took the census and you didn't get to, you only allowed to choose one thing. I'm like, I, you know, I just, I checked in everything. I was like Native American, white, black. I was like, just fuck you, fuck you. Having a biracial family back then was frowned upon to say the least. Um, so my mother and, and her family had to move around a lot. There were some times when like, you know, when they were getting a new house, my grandmother would go ahead of the rest of the family and sign the lease. Um, and then the rest of the family would kind of like hang back. Uh, my mom likes to stress the fact that like they were never angry because of the racism that they experienced. My grandfather, he didn't want a certain level of resentment within their hearts at, at that age. So my grandparents raised my mother and my uncles to kind of not be burdened by their color, you know? Um, and being biracial, they were a lighter skin and like, you know, not as black on the surface, if, if, if I dare say that in that way. But this idea that, you know, they'll say, in, in, this, in the same method of grouping, you'll say a black person a Jewish person. So there's, okay, one is a, a, a relative, a mixture of a relative skin tone together with a, a cultural identity and, uh, and with all that encompasses language and shared experience and everything. And then the next one, just, well, that's actually a religion. And then there's a Hispanic. Well, that's a language group that's sort of related to Europe, except it's also in indigenous people in America. It's, a, it's really a, um, a coping mechanism. It's really a reaction to a society. And like that worked for them back then to kind of stay positive and to stay together as a family unit. They were also part of the uh, Jehovah's Witness community. So there was just a stress on being a part of society and kind of assimilating a little bit to have a normal life and not have to deal with this racism and stuff that my grandfather did experience being from Tennessee. Um, so this was like a coping mechanism for my grandparents to give my mother and her, her brothers a good life. So um, there's really, I, I don't want to criticize that way, but because of it, my mother has a different perspective on race. Because my mother is um, more white passing than me, um, she was able to live this life with more ease. Um, I can't really afford to just ignore my color. Um, it would just be naive in today's world. I've been um, profiled by police and um, I've been um, discriminated against. I'm visibly black. I can't, I can't um, pretend that, you know, I will say that I think it's it's unfair to assume that a white woman will 
ultimately get it because she doesn't live in a black female body she will not get it you know what i'm saying but i think to be aware and acknowledge and to step back and sometimes be silent i think that makes all the difference in the world and it's hard to do that when you already given a platform in so many different ways it's hard to say like you know i'm gonna step down from this platform and and let somebody else speak it's going to continue to be just what it is because no one wants to have that real conversation I'm not watching a CNN roundtable discussion because one word that's missing from that conversation is white supremacy. You know, when you talk about white women or white people, they're not asked to conform. They are the norm. What do they have to conform to besides each other? Once they see color race, it's like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Black women don't have that that privilege to say, you know what, I'm just I'm just going to not participate. Either you participate or guess what? The system eats you up alive and you're stuck in a very disempowered position. So what, what's the, what choice do you really have to move? Whatever you are as, you, as the default in terms of how you're judged by the way people in society look and prejudge you is that you can't opt out of it, especially when it comes to skin color. And it's part of being a black man in society is the part that you can't opt in or out of it. Racism, that's one thing. That's, I could, that's, hey, but white supremacy, that's the mother of all systems. The issue I think with white men sometimes, especially straight white men, is that I think they fool themselves into believing that everybody's the same because from their position, they're so high up, nothing everything is on an equal plane. And they don't realize that they are the norm, that they dominate everywhere. That's white supremacy. That ain't racism. It's a global system that affects every aspect of our lives, not only mine, but yours as, as a white man. It affects everybody. If you really want to have a conversation about race and, and color, let's start at the top. Let's start with white supremacy. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the inception of white supremacy. So let's do yeah. that. Yeah. It's a global system of domination just to wipe out every culture and make your culture the number one culture then everyone has to walk and march to the beat of your drum I definitely don't blame my grandparents I don't blame my mother and like it is it is um, it does cause discourse between the two of us um, because when I do call attention to things like, you know, white supremacy, government oppression, she doesn't necessarily want, she just doesn't want me to be angry. That's what it is. Like, she doesn't want me to be angry. And like, of course I'm angry, but I just, I don't think she understands the importance of calling a spade a spade and calling recognition to something like black oppression. I think no one wants to hear, hey, Part of the reason why you are where you are has nothing to do with your ability. Like I think one of the biggest mistakes that people believe is that a meritocracy exists and it doesn't, right? We didn't all get to where we where we are because oh, I'm, I'm just smart and I'm just talented. What were the tools that got you to be smart and talented? Who nurtured you? What nurtured you? Total control. When men were men and women, well, women, you know, that whole thing, that whole uh, conservative and God-fearing, gun-loving 
white dominated culture and as the jig is up it's just about over nothing lasts forever you know they're scared because let's look at what's happening um white middle-aged folks are dying at an alarming rate birth rates are down so the white culture is literally dying it's it's a fact it's a fact that literally dying so i would be scared too <laughs> In the end, what is this going to, you know, is it, how is this going to make anything positive happen? Will, will this rehashing add value to make a, a positive change? And if not, then it's, it's the opposite. And I can actually create this sort of, uh, I'm, I'm tired of hearing the same thing again. That it can, and that's. It, but we also have to think about what agency means for white women versus black women. Agency could be you saying, you know what, this is hurting me. I don't have to go through this. Well, black women don't exert agency in that way. And so that's why when we think about agency, if you use your agency to disengage from a conversation from that you don't feel comfortable in, then what does that mean for me? Does that mean that I am now chained to that conversation? I have to do more emotional and and physical labor for get you to understand when you've already detached yourself from it? Like, and that's why it's so tiresome because it's like, no, like you need to stay here because you are involved, whether you like it or not. You know what I'm saying? White women didn't just decide, you know, I am going to be the beauty norm. They didn't decide it, but they were put there. So acknowledge that and understand how it operates. A lot of people don't want to understand what the position means because it scares them. I think that the real solution is not separation because we are America. We are stuck with this. Like, I mean, we can't repeat history. We can't undo centuries of oppression, colonialism, and slavery. We can't just undo that. What I absolutely believe we have the power to do is reclaim black representation in all aspects of society, which includes government, which includes law enforcement. It feels like there's a moment here in this country that we could either grab onto you're already shaking your head man but we could either we figure out a way to harness the energy of that moment or we perish so within the spectrum of that where do you think we're at i think we're going to perish i think we're going to perish um rome lasts for 900 years nothing lasts forever and it's all going to come to an end and i i think we need to destroy and rebuild we need to start over and it's an amazing time to be alive and and everyone is kind of scrambling to be a part of these causes because they are changing the world i mean we've made such crazy headway in the past year to calling attention to racism in a way that not even civil rights leaders were able to do Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on a plane, seeking a home where he himself is free. America never was America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great strong land of love where never kings connive nor tyrant scheme. That any man be crushed by one above. It never was America to me. Or let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. 
there will never be equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white food and pushed apart. I'm the Negro bearing slavery scars. I'm the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of doggy dog of mighty crush the weak. America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. Out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, we the people must redeem. Let America Be America Again is a poem by Langston Hughes written in 1935. Tone Deaf is a modern imperial production put together by me, Nathan Larson, with Taryn Mazza, and today featured the voices of Josh Murray, Morgan Jerkins, Kobe Kiambu, and Brittany Flapjack Raglan, all of whom I give great thanks to. We love you. We'll see you again. This has been Tone Deaf.